Hello and welcome to Ararat Baptist Church's midweek service. Even though we can't meet together at the moment, we can still join together in worship, prayer and around God's Word. So we do hope you'll enjoy this short time of worship as we bring our praises to the King of Heaven. This week's service is led by the Reverend Gethin Russell-Jones. Hello and welcome to the midweek service. We're so glad that you're able to join with us as we spend a few minutes in worship, prayer and meditating on some words found in the Bible. Our first hymn comes from the rousing pen of Charles Wesley. Rejoice, the Lord is King. Our reading today is taken from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, and starting at verse 10. 
I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the, of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind, and if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory, by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What does it mean to forget what lies behind and straining to what is ahead? Is Paul saying we should pretend the past never happened and try to completely reinvent ourselves without reference to history? That sounds dangerous to me, let alone unrealistic. I mean, Socrates is alleged to have said that the unreflected life is not worth living. I mean, the more we find out about ourselves, about our parents, our grandparents, our family histories, the more we understand about ourselves, about me, about us, what makes us tick. And what about history in general? Is all that rubbish? Are we meant to forget it, forget it all? And there's such a lot of it, surely. Paul can't be saying that we're to forget it all, bin it all, disregard it as though it never happened and be so naive as to think we can just start from scratch, live perfect lives. During the summer months, in fact, since lockdown began towards the end of March, I have found my accidentally lost in the 17th century. It all began with an audiobook. Daniel Defoe's Journal of the Plague Year, 1664, although it was first published in 1722. It seems likely that Daniel's journal is based heavily on his uncle's eyewitness account, since Daniel was only four in 1664. Defoe's account is intense, it's detailed, and at times it's highly dramatic. 
He paints a vivid first-hand report of London groaning under the weight of bereavement, poverty and the danger of often empty streets. He speaks of wild crowds marauding up and down these streets, sometimes empty, sometimes crowded. He talks of boarded up houses. He talks of these enormous burial pits in London parish churches. His tone throughout is serious and it's often very spiritual. After listening to Daniel Defoe's sober history, I then turned to Samuel Pepys' diaries. Pepys kept a daily diary from 1659 until 1669, roughly from the age of uh, his late 20s to his late 30s. Like Defoe, his records are detailed, but his tone is very different. It's often bawdy, often scandalous, often has to do with his many illicit affairs and assignations. His account of the plague, even though he's an eyewitness, is less concerned with the suffering of the masses and more about his own comfort and safety and well-being. I guess more than anything else, Pepys's eyewitness account of the Great Fire of London in 1666 gives an accurate and vivid portrayal of the catastrophic event that changed the landscape of the capital city. His eyewitness reports in his diaries are more or less the only accounts, eyewitness accounts, of that fire. These men, Defoe and Pepys, were writing during times of dynamic political and social upheaval. Some 20 years earlier, the English civil wars brought the monarchy to an end and established a republic under the Cromwell family, first of all Oliver Cromwell and then briefly his son Richard. The monarchy was later restored in 1660, but in 1889 another revolution occurred and this time it was bloodless. A Dutch monarch, known as William of Orange and his wife, Mary, assumed the English throne and deposed James II. This so-called glorious revolution had a profound impact on the UK, many of which are still being felt today. For example, the, Norish, the Northern Irish backstop at the heart of the Brexit talks between the UK and the EU can be traced back to this period in British history. You could argue, as historians have, that many of the troubles and difficulties that have assailed Ireland and Northern Ireland in particular can be traced back to that particular period in British history. So why does Paul say we should forget what lies behind and strain to what is ahead? Why should we do that? It's not safe to do that. And as we realise that history, more or less, is the playing out of the past. Isn't it dangerous to forget what lies in the past and to strain to what is ahead? Is Paul that unhappy with his life that he wants to bin it? Is it because he's in prison and he wants to fantasize about a better life somewhere else? Well, true, Paul is in prison and yes, he's had plenty of suffering in his life, but he's also had plenty of success as he speaks about this in this letter. Now, Paul isn't saying, I don't think, that we should just forget it all and carry on regardless. 
But he is speaking about an experience that he has known that makes everything else seems hollow or a bit shadowy. You see, Paul is talking about Christ and the power of his resurrection. He's talking about knowing Christ in a different kind of way. His language is personal and passionate. Paul isn't that interested in the history of the resurrection as an event. I mean, he believes in it, obviously, and at times he argues for it. But he wants to climb inside it. He wants to own it for himself. He says, in fact, that he's pressing on to make it his own, just as Christ has owned him. At the heart of this man's religion is a pulsating encounter with the living Christ. Drawing on the title of the 1954 film, starring Jane Wyman and Rock Hudson, this, you might say, is Paul's magnificent obsession. Of course, this is how Paul came to be a follower of Christ in the first place. Paul came to faith in Jesus. Uh, he came to realize who Jesus was after Jesus' death and resurrection. He was on his way to Damascus to, to torment the new Christian community in that city when he had a blinding experience of hope. You could say that Paul was blinded by the light. And out of this light came a voice, a voice that said, It's me, Jesus. It's me you're persecuting. Stop it. I'm going to use you to change the world. And this encounter with Jesus is so arresting and so staggering that Paul says in response to this voice, Well, who are you, Lord? He realizes immediately who it is. This is Jesus the anointed one, Jesus, the special one, Jesus, the Messiah. So that's why Paul urges his readers to forget what lies behind. It's because Jesus Christ has invaded his present and has taken over his future and his past. And it's because Christ has invaded our present immediate lives and keeps on crashing into our lives with the power of his presence that we are encouraged to do likewise, to look at everything through the prism, through the lens of his resurrection. For Paul, that event on a dusty road near Damascus was the key intersection of his life. It was the major junction. It was the time of his life that was never to be the same again. It was the key entry point or the key exit point, the key junction. It was his BC and AD moment, this, the perspective from which everything else was measured. It was the incident that changed him and gave him the courage and resolve to be true to it all his life. I wonder what our BC and AD moment is or was. I wonder if we've had a key intersection, a key junction in our lives that changed everything. I'm always in awe of people like Paul, whether I agree with them on everything or not. People who have the courage to form opinions, make decisions courageously without cowering in the face of their opponents. I'm thinking of people like Greta Thunberg or Maria 
Kolesnikova and her friends in Belarus who were uh, showing such courageous opposition to the president there, or to Dr. Martin Luther King. And there are many hundreds of thousands, even millions of people like them across the world, ordinary people who hold the light of peace and love in their hands, wherever they may be. And so I have a question. It's largely aimed at myself, but applicable to us all. How does this love of Christ in my present so move me that I may move others and leave this world a better place than I found it? And will this love of Christ in my present move me to act courageously and fiercely and put the opinions of others in a lesser place to the power of his love? You see, you could say that everything in my past has led me to this point, to now, to this moment. It's not that I forget the past, it's that I remember where it's brought me. It's not that I forget the past, but I remember the journeys taken by his people, by his world, through trials and tribulations, through success and failure, justice and injustice, to this point where his grace meets us, to this current intersection. And truth be known, I would rather forget my sectarian spirit, my failure to love, the many dead ends and cul-de-sacs I've pursued. But we also recognize that we learn from our mistakes, painful as they are, and so we must name them before forgetting them. We must name them before committing ourselves to a better way, the way of love. And so in this moment is the risen and the glorious one. And he gives us the power to be change makers, lovers and hope givers. And so today, now, this moment can be for us another of those great intersections, another junction, another crisis point, if you like, where I meet Jesus again, as if for the first time. And so it begs a question, another question. What am I pressing on to know in my life? What is it that draws me, inspires me, sends me out to love others? Can I too know the power of Christ's hope? Yes, says Paul. For Christ has already made me his own. So we press on to know his fullness and his new life. Let's pray together. Loving Heavenly Father, we bless you for this day and for our lives. We bless you for your great and endless love revealed in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the torrents of love flowing from the cross and the empty tomb, a flood of love that reaches and transforms the whole cosmos. We thank you for the love that sustains us, for the love of family, friends, church and neighbours. For those whom we love and hold dear in our hearts, we are reminded that as we give, so we receive, as we sow, so shall we reap. And we ask that you would help us to be so transfigured by your love 
that we might be generous and gracious in our dealings with others. We're so sorry for the way that we have marred your image in us by our words and actions. For the ease with which we take pleasure in the failure of others and fail to love others as you love us. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy upon us. May our lives align with the glorious news that all are welcome in the Father's house. Loving God, we pray for our world, for the residents of Birmingham as they come to terms with the recent stabbings in that city, that peace might again walk the streets and not violence. May your kingdom come and may your will be done. For the Brexit negotiations recommencing this week, that those present in those talks might seek the common good and the welfare of all and not partisan interests. We pray that the Holy Spirit's presence might be known and wisdom pursued. May your kingdom come and may your will be done. For the febrile situation in Belarus, mindful that so many protesters and dissenters have been arrested by security forces loyal to President Lukashenko. We pray for Maria Kolnesikova and her two colleagues who have disappeared. Lord, we bless you for their bravery and for their courage, and we pray that they might be kept safe and that the voice of justice and fairness and peace and tolerance and democracy might be heard loudly in the streets of Belarus. May your kingdom come and may your will be done. And for this world, coming to terms with the deadly advance of COVID-19, for countries ravaged by this virus, whose healthcare systems are unable to cope, for the poor who are suffering disproportionately, for scientists and researchers working tireless, tirelessly to find a vaccine that will turn the tide, we pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. And for ourselves, Lord, we commit ourselves again to following Jesus, laying aside all that hinders us, that limits the progress of his love. We open ourselves again to this great transforming love. And so we pray together the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory for ever and ever. 
Amen. Our final hymn is based on those stirring words from Philippians, written by Graham Kendrick, Knowing You, Jesus.
And so, may the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us and give us his peace. Amen. Thanks for joining with us. Hope you enjoyed it. And we look forward to welcoming you once again to Ararat Baptist Church. Thanks for joining with us. Hope you enjoyed it. And we look forward to welcoming you once again to Ararat Baptist Church.